Hello, listener. Hello, Sam Naherney. Carrying on the theme of it being a little bit different this week, I think this mm. might be our first person you know, has basically got fuck all to do with music. So why are we talking to him, Sam? <laughs> well, Jay, who you're about to hear from, listener, he basically helps people make a living doing what they love, regardless of what it is they love, whether it is music, whether it is finance, whether it is selling socks. This man helps people do that. <laughs> yeah, and there were, he dropped the mic several times in a good way, including mm. an absolutely stunningly useful insight on YouTube shorts. I think we should just get into it. Okay, Jay, you made us really happy today. And you don't know <laughs> this bit yet. Because when we were doing our final prep for this interview, for this chat, we noticed the phrase actionable advice on a lot of your socials uh. and a lot of your content. And every single show we do, the very first question we ask our guests is, what are some actionable advice or actionable tips for musicians, would that be in our speciality? Uh, so seeing the phrase actual advice made is very happy. So I'm going to start off straight out the gate with a question for you. You're an expert in helping creators make a living from what they love. We care really about musicians. So in 2023, January 2023, as we record this, what are your top three actionable tips to either help a musician make a living uh, out of whether it's social, whether it's out of content, or it's obviously out of the music, if you have any insights on that. What are your top three on that kind of vibe? Well, I, I really think that musicians are kind of the OG creators. So I do have some thoughts on this. Hmm. I think the first tip I would give is to start gathering contact information for your fans. And a lot of people are probably already doing this, but I'm still shocked at how many shows I go to where my method of giving the act my email address is pencil and paper. And my handwriting's terrible. So <laughs> even when I want to give my my contact information, it's probably illegible half the time. And not only that, it's, it's just high friction. So everything that you're doing, you should have a mind for how do I funnel more of the attention I'm receiving into email, which means that you have to have an email service provider set up. Uh, you probably will want to have some sort of freebie that you can give them for signing up and then, you know, get really practiced at having call to actions in your uh, in your work to send mm -hmm. people there. So that's tip number one. Tip number two, I think it's really important to think of this journey as a multiplayer game. And if you're in a band, you probably already have multiplayers there. But I'm thinking even outside of the, the entity that you have, make some musician friends of varying size, you know, it's going to be easiest to collaborate with musicians that are kind of at your same size and scale. But, mm -hmm. you know, you want to creep up a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger all the time. That's going to help you make a better work product. It's also going to help bring some new attention to your work because there'll be natural ways that you guys can collaborate. Mm -hmm. So email service provider, play a multiplayer game. Third, I would say don't undervalue yourself. I think that's probably pretty common in the music industry. It's, it's, it's common in all kinds of creative walks of life, but what you make is valuable. Probably can't charge the same price for a track that I can charge for a course, but you should not feel bad about charging prices for your music, for your shows, for experiences with you. You know, don't undervalue yourself because the market wants to further push you down the value chain. So if you're starting out at a low position, it's tough to go upwards, I think. Those are my hot takes. 
And one of my favorite things about that, Jay, is your focus being more on the creator side of it. So a lot of the people we've asked that are specifically just in music go straight down a very practical side of music industry tips. Whereas even just the fact you mentioned in kind of email marketing straight away, that's something we haven't had mentioned by, you know, the more music industry focused people, whereas it's a very viable way of building. Mark, any thoughts? Yeah, let's chat email. It's, uh, as your first tip implied, Jay, it's possibly the most underutilized tool in the 2020s mix by musicians. I was wondering, um, let's imagine uh, MCJC, the science creator, is playing a show. Nice oh like, really cool amazing. little underground show, 150, <laughs> 200 people, really, really into you. So you are not going to be saying, follow me on Instagram or follow me on Spotify, what we want to do is build that email list. And just to clarify, I think the reason we want to do that is because you own your email. You're not vulnerable to the third party in the way you are with a social media platform. So that's That's why whilst email can sometimes feel a bit 2012 to a 20-year-old, the fact that you own it is why it's so powerful and why you want it. How are you going to do that? Are you going to have QR codes in the toilets that take you straight to the mailing list? Are you going to risk having a shit old iPad that you don't mind if someone nicks it so people can sign up to your email there at the merch stand? When MCJC is playing live, how is he going to get people on his email list? It's got to be quick, right? It's got to be It's got to be really yeah. easy to do, and it's got to be compelling. Quick and compelling is the thing. So just having an email list, yes, people will say, I love this band, I'll sign up for it, but it's not as compelling as it could be. So I'd probably start before the show and say, what is the asset or experience or, you know, perk I can provide that would make people want to give me their email address, even if they Mm -hmm. do like me. Recently, I got an email from a friend of mine. His name is Sam Bodery. He has a band called Hello Emerson. It's a local band here. He had uh, a show I went to where he played the song he was working on called uh, The Couch, I think it was called. And I loved it. And I told him, like, I love this song. How can I possibly (laughs) listen to this again anytime? He's like, you can't. This doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Recently, he sent me a track. He's like, hey, we're working on the song for the next album. We're going to put it on the album. And here's an early version of it. He sent me two versions of that over time. And it's just so fantastic because I'm one of the fans that showed up and saw him live, heard a song, really liked it. And there was literally no way for me to ever hear it again. It was even hit or miss if he even played it again out at another show. So I think that could be a resource that you put out there is you play the song, you play a song that you're working on, maybe an early version or maybe something that's just never been out on an album. If that has shown or proven to be well-received, say, hey, this is a song that you just heard. By the way, you can actually get this for free and listen to it anytime you want. It's not on any album. Uh, This is the only way you'll be able to hear it. Go to website.com, put your email at the top of the page. I'd probably put the email opt-in at the top of my page as a musician as the most important action, um, and then deliver that file as, as the perk. You can test that with different files, but I think that's what I would do. Maybe, you know, depending on your AV, like QR code could work. Uh, There are also services that let you text a certain number or text an email address to a certain number. But I haven't actually found a service like that that I like a lot, because if I did, I would probably be using it in podcasting, to be honest. I would probably just make the email or the, the URL simple to say, simple to hear, simple to visit, and then have that perk as the reason to subscribe. And of course, you could say, and by the way, when you subscribe, you'll also hear when I'm back in town here. Uh, any other updates that are important. But I think having just an e- uh, a, a web address that's easy to say and spell, if I hear it, is easy enough. Yeah, I was just going to summarize that. So it's about having a classic, really strong call to action or incentive or perk. They're arguably all the same thing expressed in different ways. Yeah, and I mean, of course, like you can you can have the the iPad at the merch table back there. You can have signs up with QR codes all around. I think email is just so, so important. Even if you are really good on Instagram, I would use my social to continue to drive people to email. Like email is the asset. 
there's a really great blog that if your listeners don't already listen to, uh, don't already read, they might like it. It's called Trapital. Have you guys heard mm-hmm. of yeah. Trapital, Dan yeah, Runcie? Yeah, yeah. So he had the story about uh, Tyler Perry's success as a comedian, mm-hmm. and it was entirely email driven. Like he had no success for forever, but he just kept putting on shows locally in Atlanta, I believe. And he would ask people who came to shows, you know, to give their email address or if they purchased a ticket online, he got their email address. So he built his entire empire and the Tyler Perry empire is huge on the back of doing really small shows locally, building a cult following, getting their email address, and then very disciplined, reaching out to that email list every time he was in a place where they could see him. And it works, still does. Do we know how Tyler got emails at his gigs? Well, there there was pockets of people who really like going. Like I think there was a there was a, a strong church going crowd. Churches oh. are really strong communities. Uh, I live yeah. in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Twenty one pilots had a similar story actually. Yeah. And go to my gig or you're going to hell. <laughs> I don't know if that's the explicit call to action. <laughs> it's a good call to action. But those people say, "Hey, I'm going to the show," and and they invite their friends. I think even just by virtue of telling somebody and them having to purchase a ticket online. That's going to get the email address. So if you are go, if you are putting out shows and their tickets are sold online, make use of those email addresses. You know, after they make the purchase, how can you continue to inject something fun, something unique to your spirit to have touch points that stand out? Like in this world, music is hyper competitive, I'm sure. I mean, I'm not in it. I recently listened to an interview with Macklemore and he was talking about how just how much of a crapshoot it is. But <laughs> I would be saying like my unique advantage is my personality. And to succeed, I need to be somebody's favorite. How can I be their favorite? And being somebody's favorite comes not just from the quality of the work, but standing out in everything around the work, everything surrounding it, making everything an experience, a, a different type of touch point. That's what I'd be looking to inject my entire internet existence with. I just want to jump off that, Jay. I think what we talk about social media a lot on the show and how musicians can take advantage of the platforms to obviously help them build a career that they love in the music industry. But I think one of the classic things a musician does at the start is they treat social media as an advertising platform. They treat it as, go and listen to my song. New song out now. It's just very advert for normally their music or their show or whatever the key thing they're trying to push is. I think, you know, we often talk about giving value and all this classic stuff that, you know, is in all of our favorite books, all of our favorite podcasts. But again, just very intrigued with you with your more creative focused hat on. As a musician who their end goal is to, you know, make a living doing what they love. So to do that, they need to be selling out shows. They need to be, you know, getting streams on Spotify, building that fan base and building that community. Is there any content ideas or content strategy that immediately springs to mind? And again, I think you're in a really unique place coming from a creative perspective rather than a musician perspective that they could be doing on social that isn't just going, go and listen to my song on Spotify, go and buy a ticket, but to help them build that relationship with fans or new fans, which then leads them to what they want to do. I found a lot of musicians recently through Instagram Reels. I'm probably sure the same is true on TikTok, but I don't Mm. use TikTok much. Uh, And I don't mean the music in the reel. I mean, someone sends me a hilarious reel and I watch it and then I say, who made this? And they're a musician. And, you know, I see a couple of those after following them and I say, okay, I want to learn more about their music because I like this person and I want to support them. Really great example of this is Petey. I think his handle is Petey USA. His stuff is hilarious. And then I started listening to his music. He has this incredible song called Don't Tell the Boys that's on like all my playlists now. It's a longer term thing, but the tools that we have now, especially in short form video, you can make the same short form video and go viral on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts. Uh, even in a small way, Twitter and LinkedIn. 
So if you put the time into making entertaining videos that showcase you or your style, they're probably going to have to be like kind of funny. Um, that can be a really great way to get in front of a lot of new people. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it is like a value first delivery mechanism, but you can start embedding your music or parts of your band into the content itself. And that can be really compelling. I think I think that's an interesting way to go about it. I would also potentially collaborate with other creators who are doing a lot of the legwork to make videos and say like, hey, it's clear to me that either you use sound design in your videos or you're lacking sound design. I think sound design could take you up another level. Can I help produce some music for your videos with some credit in the video and the description on YouTube? Again, I'm not in this world, but that's probably the type of strategies that I would look at without, you know, having knowledge of what people are doing now. I think um, that almost naturally leads on to one of our favorite topics of the power of, not just the power of community, but also the fact that because of these tools, you can get in front of or build relationships with pretty much anyone, especially if you're providing value to them. Um, you know, good example, we want to shout out our editor and producer, Tyler. You know, he's, six months ago, he wasn't a video editor. He's now our video editor and off the back of this and just putting the work in and sending a few great DMs. He's built, you know, this list of amazing clients already. And right now he doesn't even have a post on his Instagram. This is all kind of word of mouth from the work that's going out on all of his other content, um, like our podcast clips and stuff like that. So is there, again, the answer might just be give value. But in terms of reaching out to people that they might, using your example of the sound design example, is there any tips you have for making a, a cold email or a cold DM or a cold collaboration request more incentivizing, more in, more likely to get opened, that kind of thing? I feel like that would be super incentivizing. Like as a creator who is constantly just pulling music from like Artlist or something, if someone was like, hey, I saw your stuff and I like it. Amazing. That feels good to me. Yeah. They said, I'm a musician. Here's some of my music. I would love to help you with some upcoming video and try some collaboration. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I'm 100% opening that. That's that's yeah. a thousand times more interesting and more compelling than any email I get on a daily basis anyway. Because it is, it is immediately value add. If it is coming from a place of, I want to help produce something that can make your video better, mm -hmm. uh, make your content better amazing let's talk about that it's also fun for me like i'm a creative person i like collaborating i like making something that's better than it was before that's really fun for me i don't think i'm unique in that fact now some very very actionable things for how to do that email i would probably put in the subject line like in brackets right up front collaboration request mm -hmm. and then something like i love your videos because we're all vain <laughs> we like to feel wanted. We like to feel liked. So yeah. that's going to get me to open an email. Then, you know, my first question is, is this person a professional? Honestly, like, is this is this person somebody that I could work with that seems to take this seriously? And the cues I get from that are, do they have a, do they have a photo in their email address? Is their email address at least a pretty clean Gmail address or is it even on their band's domain? Like those are signs of legitimacy that make me take somebody seriously. And then I run read the email and I want it to be concise, well-written, direct, doesn't need to be long, should probably be short enough to, to, to read in one scroll of your thumb on a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And I should basically say like, hey, here's how I know you exist. Here's something of your work that I enjoyed. I noticed that you're lacking music or you use a lot of background music, but you're using like royalty-free stuff. I love your work and I would love to collaborate with you on custom music for something upcoming, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I would also probably put the ask slash expectation up front to say, 
happy to do the legwork on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only ask is that I get credit in the the video, in the description. Uh, this work is owned by me, you know. So we're not we're not or we're not giving them an exclusive license for forever. It's it's yeah. your music. You're allowing them to license it for this this video. But I think that's pretty straightforward. I think one of the things you cover online, which could be very unique to our audience, is the platforms of Twitter and LinkedIn. I know you've already mentioned them in a few of your points previous. Um, again, they are obviously very, you could argue there's like these different groups of social, you know, if Instagram Reels and TikTok are similar together, Twitter's kind of living in its own world, just like LinkedIn is. Is there anything, you know, have you got one-liners for why people, regardless of if they're musicians or creatives, should care about Twitter and LinkedIn if they're almost, they can be seen as uncool to the wrong person or like the same person. What's your one-liners for why they should care about those platforms? I mean, they're all different. So you you need to have a pretty good sense for, is my typical audience listener, you know, Mm -hmm. using this platform? I like Twitter because Twitter and the circles that I swim in on Twitter, they are very much in the realm of I want to learn, improve myself. I have purchasing power. I'm willing to make buying decisions on Twitter. It's fairly low friction to go from Twitter to some buying decision. Mm -hmm. That's not true of Instagram in my experience. It's a lot harder. People are mostly there to consume and enjoy. And obviously, you know, Twitter is a very written medium. Instagram is a very visual and and uh, you know, video photos, that type of, that type of thing. So I think play to your strengths, no reason to do them all. If you're not drawn to Twitter and LinkedIn, then don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think probably for musicians, you're going to have the most success on Instagram and, uh, TikTok. I think that YouTube shorts are undervalued right now. I think there's underpriced attention there. I think there is, well, actually I know that there is outpacing demand for short form content on YouTube versus supply of good short form content on YouTube. So there's an arbitrage opportunity right there. Could we just break down what you said about YouTube there? Because the terms might have been a little, things like arbitrage might be a little bit businessy. Sure, yes. Um, yes. I think what you just said is YouTube right now want more content and therefore are going to push your content out. Is that is that kind of right? Yes. If you've ever taken an economics course, you sort of understand supply and demand. The lower the supply, the higher the demand. The higher the supply, the lower the demand. There is more supply than there is demand on Instagram and TikTok right now, which is why you're not getting as much reach on those platforms as you used to. Mm. It's not the same dynamic on YouTube Shorts. YouTube Shorts right now, there is a growing user base of people who are trying to consume Shorts specifically, and the increase in supply of content on YouTube shorts is not at the same rate. So the same amount of effort to make a vertical short form video theoretically could yield higher results on YouTube shorts right now. And that won't always be true. Eventually, yeah. you know, the the market corrects and mm-hmm. the amount of supply and demand reaches a certain equilibrium. So mm-hmm. as a creator, I'm always looking for where is there underpriced attention right now? Where do I have these opportunities where there is relatively higher demand than there is supply. And I can fill that gap because you start to feel tailwinds. You know, you, you see like this random person just liked your video or this short just took off and you think, how is that happening? It's happening because there is attention looking for this type of content and there isn't enough of it for YouTube to serve up. So you're more likely to get pulled into a more general new audience. 
That is a brilliant insight. That's actionable advice, and it's precise, which is exactly <laughs> what we're looking for. So right now, Jay, the creator scientist, we all often say this playfully, like the Dumbledore of your area of expertise, you have identified <laughs> that on YouTube Shorts, there's an opportunity right now to get more juice and more exposure because of all the big platforms, you know, the ones with hundreds of millions of people on right now, YouTube is trying to grow shorts. And actually, it's almost mind-blowing to think this, that there's actually not enough supply because we're so used to being overrun by content. But on YouTube shorts specifically, there's actually not enough good short content. Yeah, and what people don't realize, the YouTube algorithm <laughs> is just more advanced. They have more resources. They put more time into it. So YouTube as a whole, as a platform, is so good at identifying the people who engage well with your content and then surfacing your content to other people who look like that who have never seen you before. It's it's right. not too late for YouTube. I think it's a new era of YouTube because the game used to be get subscribers so that your subscribers can see your stuff. But now most of the views on YouTube are driven by people who have never seen your stuff before. And it just gets better and better at recommending it. And also, it's just a huge market because YouTube comes pre-installed on every Android device on the planet. That's a huge number of devices. That's not true of Instagram. That's not true of TikTok. So there's just natural built-in potential audience on people's phones. And because the short form attention wars are just getting hotter and hotter, YouTube is incentivized to put more and more attention themselves into growing that side of the platform and the creators benefit from that when there's competition. Um, we're running out of time, Jay. It's January, so we want to ask you the big question. We've been talking to a lot of people this month about how they go about setting goals and the timelines for those. And I noticed that that was something that you were thinking about. You mentioned... Um, on your Twitter, unsurprisingly, recently, how you've got a little bit of a different way of talking about goals and thinking about goals. I'm trying to be more of a sociopath. Here's what I mean. <laughs> if you look at streaming platforms, you know, you see these documentaries and these series, these stories of people like uh, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos or the guy who started Fire Festival or the guy who started WeWork. And these are like crash and burn, ridiculous stories. And you ask yourself, how did these people do this? How could this possibly happen? And the answer is they believe that they could. And that's true for a lot of people who are accomplishing great things too. You know, some of those stories are less compelling. But the people <laughs> who accomplish things, abnormal things, uncommon <laughs> things, which being a creator and being successful in doing that, that is abnormal. That is uncommon. The people who accomplish that are people who believe, truly believe that they will. And what I found with goal setting is I often set goals as hopes, but it was the goals were holding too much space for me believing like, yeah, but it probably won't happen. And that's like, that's a fundamental lack of belief. So what I've been trying to train myself to do now is instead of saying my goal is 20,000 email subscribers this month, it's saying, I'm going to get 20, 000, get to 20,000 email subscribers this month. To me, it is inevitable in my mind that that is going to happen. It is, it's, it's going to happen. So the question is no longer, is it going to happen? The question is, if that's true, how is it going to happen? And it forms my behavior. And that's what I wanted. I spent too much time in the goal setting world of, of wondering, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And being kind of reactive and hoping that it would happen. And when I think of it as this is a milestone that I'm shooting towards and I believe that it's going to happen in February. I'm confronted with, if that is true, how will it become true? What will I have to do in order for it to be true? So instead of goals, I basically have targets and deadlines. And now I say, how do I solve that problem? 
Boom. And you also talked about quite recently your different way of approaching timelines, which are kind of a cousin of goals, or traditionally anyway. And this is probably just part of like schooling where, you know, you you get homework and it's due tomorrow uh, or you have a project and it's due at the end of the week. We're kind of trained to think in really short timelines and it's really hard to accomplish big things with really small timelines because it's hard to think big. You, you're thinking in terms of days or weeks. And so what can you accomplish in days or weeks? Not really that big. But if you're thinking, okay. Longer term time horizons. If I want to think in years, you know, I'm thinking, what is the goal for 2023? You know, that sounds like a crazy thing. Like you have one goal for the whole year. How are you going to do that? Well, because it's going to be a big goal and it's going to take a lot of work to get there. A lot of the people that I look up to, they think in terms of decades and I can't get there yet. It's hard to make the leap from like days to decades. You kind of have to go one rung at a time. Like if I'm thinking in terms of weeks right now or even days, let's go to weeks. Let's go to months then to years, then to decades. And the same is true for uh, money, I find. When I was in a spot where money was really, really tight, I was thinking in like $50 increments. You know, like how do I get $150 to, to cover the rest of my rent this week? And then slowly over time, I was thinking more in terms of like $100 increments, you know, where things that were, maybe it's a gig, maybe it's a gig that now you're thinking, okay, instead of $200 being my, my price for the gig, I want my price to be $500, you know, instead of increasing it $50 at a time, like let's, let's increase the increment. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, I got to thousands and a lot of people playing at really high levels, they're pushing huge decimals around. They're like, <laughs> we only take seriously projects that are in the tens of thousands of dollars. Or, you know, think about people who are planning stadium tours for these artists. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. They're thinking hundreds of thousands of dollars for for like where they're allocating money, what type of revenue they're expecting, what types of swings in the projections get them excited or make them sweat. When you start thinking bigger, you accomplish bigger things. Jay, want to respect your time. So we're going to wrap this up by saying if so, if listeners enjoyed your wisdom, where do you want to send them? Is it to the podcast? Is it to your Twitter? Where do you want them to go? Yeah, you'd probably like my podcast, Creative Elements. Search Creative Elements in your podcast player. I talk to high profile creators, uh, not a ton of musicians. I did have my favorite band on episode eight. Uh, so you might enjoy that one. Otherwise, you can find me, Jay Klaus, on whatever social media platform you tend to enjoy. Amazing. Thank you for your time, Jay. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Jay. Nice to meet you.